the Linda Katz for Shlema, great to see you. And Linda said that she turned the corner. You gotta watch that with your knee turning a corner, you know? And we're all trying to turn that corner. <laughs> Good to see you. Good to see you, welcome back. And so we have a two-sided photocopy there of the Midrash, and the side that we're going to begin on, it says Chaf on the top left, page Chaf, and then it will be letter Yutes, about eight lines down, letter Yutes. And again, there are photocopies on the back table there. Okay, so the Midrash starts as follows. Now, we're, we are beginning Parshas Mishpatim, and just one comment I'd like to make uh, before we go into the Midrash, because very much relates to what we're going to learn. At this point, in Parshas Mishpatim, the Torah makes a very dramatic turn into its Lashon and narrative and content. Parshas Mishpatim. If you go all the way back to Parshas Bereshis, through last week's Parsha Yisro, it's a story. The Torah is all a story of creation, of the Avos, of the Imos, of the Shvatim, going down to Mitzrayim, Moshe Rabbeinu, Yitzhiyus Mitzrayim, Kriyas Yamsuf, Matan Torah. It's the story of creation and the beginning of the Jewish people. Now, now the whole part is Ve'il Hamishpatim. It's halachos. It's a drastic change in the Torah. It's really just a switching gears. This is very significant because the mishpatim of the Torah, which is what we learn about this week, are ultimately the halachos that we follow in life. In particular, situations that come up between people. Dine mamanos, laws of money, laws of damages, and other many, many halachas that are stated in our parsha because in a certain way that's what it all comes down to. You know, how do we live our lives? How do we follow the halacha? So the story of creation and the Jewish people, Matan Torah, leads us to Ve'ila Hamishpati Mashar Tasim Livnehem. These are the laws that we live by. And the Torah enumerates many of them in our parsha. Now with that in mind, so take a look at the letter Yudtes. As I said, about eight lines down. Omar Rabbi Elazar. Rabbi Elazar says, Kol HaTorah Tuluya mishpat. All of Torah is dependent upon Mishpat. We could translate that as justice, or laws which promote justice, the Mishpatim. Therefore, Hashem gave us halachos, dinim, immediately after the aseres hadibros. It's to let us know that this is what it all leads up to. So there we were, we were at Matan Torah with thunder and lightning and fire, and following that, these are the dinim, these are the halachos that we live our life by. Lefi. If people disregard deen, if they don't pay attention to deen, halacha, what to do in a situation, and this also has a little bit of a connotation, making sure to, to take care of less fortunate people who are easily taken advantage of. 
There's also a connotation in that, as we'll see as we proceed through the Midrash. So, therefore, when people disregard Deen, v'hu nifra mehen, Hashem will punish them. Umalam edes boi olam, and is coming to teach this to the world. Shalom hafach es sedom ad she'ibra es hadin. Hashem did not overturn Sodom until they disregarded Deen. Now, very significant, this Sodom was the, a very immoral place. Everything was wrong in Sodom. But Hashem didn't punish them and overthrow the city until they started to disregard Deen, and specifically they were not taking care of the poor, and they even had laws about not helping the poor. It was institutionalized, Ad Kedekah. So Sodom does not get overthrown until they disregard the deen. Let us take a look at that for a minute. Oh, I'm sorry, we'll go a little further first. Shenamar, as it says. Now this is a pasuk in Yechezkel. It's talking about the destruction of Sodom. Yechezkel refers to this destruction. Ga'on, they were prideful. Sivas lechem, they had much bread. They were very satiated. It was a, an affluent society. They had their physical needs taken care of. They were comfortable in Sodom. Vishalvas hashkait, and they had quiet and serenity. It was a peaceful place. But underneath that was a heart of violence in the way they treated each other. Now the rest of that pasu goes, I'll just read it because I have it on the side of the page, if you follow over to the left side of the page, but don't worry about it. But they did not support the hand of the poor and the impoverished. So if you look at it, it's like, yeah, this is a city that's, you know, operating, they have what they need, and people are successful and comfortable, but no one's paying attention to the poor. And because of that, Ibra es hadin, that they disregarded deen and didn't look at downtrodden, less fortunate people, mistreated them. Because of that, the city was overthrown. Even though there were many other things that they were doing wrong, that pushed them over the edge. Now, another example of this, back in the Midrash, Va'af Yerushalayim lo ibra es hadin. Later on in history, this is a passage from Yeshaya. Yerushalayim, Ir HaKodesh, was not exiled. Our people were not exiled until they disregarded Deen. Shenemar, it says, Yassam lo yishpotu v'riv amana lo yavo alehen. They did not judge the orphan, meaning they didn't bring him justice. And the quarrel, the claim of an amana, of a widow, did not come to them. Lo yavo alehen. So when Yushalayim and Arkodesh unfortunately got to that point where they were not looking out for the poor, the Yasom and the Almana, then it's time for Golis. So we see the extreme importance of making sure to look out for Deen, for Halacha. You owe somebody money to pay them that money back. You owe a worker his wages. Make sure to pay him his wages. If a person is a laborer, to do honest work, not to cut corners. And make sure when there's a case of people who are being oppressed, less fortunate people, to look out for them. That's the job of the 
wasting of the city that those people don't get taken advantage of. So now we have that concept of Dean there and Mishpat. Let's just take a look for a minute at the HCO Safe Commentary. It's on the right side of your page. And we'll go one, two, three, four lines down. Shenemar Gaon Sivas Lechem. This is referring again to the city of Sidon. It's on the side of the page, it's the letter Chaf on top, page Chaf. And the Eitz Yosef is on the right side of the page, four lines down. So Gaon, they were full of pride in the negative sense. And they had much uh, satisfaction from their food, they had plenty. The Gezel Mat no Sanin, but taking away or stealing the gifts that belong to the poor, meaning taking care of them, Heve Ha'avora Al Hadin. This is the transgression, a disregard of Deen. Which is the Deen in between man and his fellow man, between people. So this Bain Adam Lechavero facet of Sidon. Then Va'af Yerushalayim, Shohoya Bohem Cheiravoda Zora Vegilo Arayos Ushvichas Damin. Now back in the Bayes Rishon, we're all familiar with this Chazal. Why was the Bayes Rishon destroyed? Because of Gilo Arayos Shvichas Damin Avoda Zora. The three uh, cardinals, so to speak, Averos, they were doing them. But what pushed them over the top in terms of exile? They also says, mm-hmm. Their measure was not full. They were not fully culpable. Ella al Hadin. Until that last measure of lack of taking care of people, the Yasal that pushed it over the edge. For that, you were sent into exile. So here we have a description in the Midrash of the importance of. And all these halachos that we have to take care of. And I'd like to emphasize the importance of this for a moment because sometimes people who are thoughtful, spiritually seeking people, like we're all trying to be, we can kind of go off in the clouds a little bit regarding lofty ideas, uh, ideals. But in the Torah, in this parasha, it grounds us into the physical world. Make sure to take care of each other on a physical basis. Make sure to pay somebody what they deserve. Don't steal. Do a good job. Be honest. We have to take all those lofty ideals and make sure that in a day-to-day life, we're living like Jews. That's the Ilaha Mishpatan. And in a certain way, that's the thrust of Yiddishkeit, because if we don't take the Torah into the everyday human life that we live, we're not bringing the Kedusha all the way into every facet of our life. It has to be brought into life. And we're going to get to that shortly in a minute as well. But I want to just finish up this part of the, of the Midrash. So now the Midrash says the following question. We see the importance of Mishpat, what happens when there is no Mishpat. The Loma, back in the Midrash, the Loma Nasan HaKadosh Baruch Hu Keser So the Midrash asks the question, of all the Shvatim, of all the tribes, 
Why did Hashem give the crown, meaning Malchus, kingship, to Yehuda? Why was Yehuda zoche to that? Vahalo lo levado hu gibor We certainly cannot say that he was the strongest, mightiest of all his brothers, even though he was strong and mighty. For example, vahalo Shimon Levi giborim. Shimon and Levi were very mighty. They wiped out a whole city by themselves. They're very powerful. Vahacherim and the other Shvatim as well. Now the Eitz Yosef points out here that six of the Shvatim have their names repeated in Parshas Zos HaBracha, and that's to emphasize that they were Giborim. So you can't say that it's because Yehuda was the biggest Gibor, that he was Zochet to Malchus. So why was he Zochet to it? Ella, Shadon Din Emes L'Samar, because he judged an honest deen when it came to Tamar. In the incident of Yehuda in Tamar, and she was pregnant from him, and they didn't know that, and she's about to be killed, capital punishment, and then she presents his staff, his signet ring, and she says, it's to the one who is the owner of these that I'm impregnated. And she won't identify him, she won't embarrass him in public, even at the, at the expense of her own life. And Yehuda sees it and says, Tzadkamimani. She is right. This is from me. So he was done Dean Emes L'Samar. And because he stepped forward, publicly embarrassed himself, was Mode al Emes. As a result of that, he Zochet to Malchus. He becomes a judge for the world, for the whole world. Mashal Ledayan, so the Midrash brings an example. You have a Dayan, a judge, Shabbat, Din Shal Yisoma Lafana. And there's the case of an orphan, an orphan girl or woman who's befront, who is in front of him in Mishpat. Vizika Osov, and he is Mazaka her, right? He finds her meritorious which is to say that he's looking after the rights of a downtrodden person. Kach Yehuda, so too with Yehuda. Ba din tamar lefana, the halacha of tamar came before him. It's a mishpat, it was a legal case. Yehuda was on the base din, and she was going to be burned. Vahu zika osa, and he found her meritorious, because he saw her merit. Now remember, <clears throat> Yehuda didn't know what happened with Tamar until, because did, he didn't know who she was. She was disguised. Until she presented those three things, at that moment, now he knows. So here he is, and he says, she's right. Mimeni, tzadka mimeni. Now we're going to get a, a bigger context here. Who were the other two Dayanim with Yehuda? Hoyu Yitzchak v'Yaakov. That's a basin. <laughs> now we do have a question here. They're all related, which is not usually allowed. Right? So say Kodemat and Torah, these things were different. That's probably what it is. 
So Yitzchak Avinu, Yaakov Avinu, and Yehuda are on the base din. Before Shem say they were on the base din of Shem Ve'ever. So Yoshvim Sham, they were all there. Now, just one second, because the Meforshim say, how old was Yitzchak at this point? Right? You think, how old is he? Yes. Okay, so it's brought down on the side in the Anaf Yodzeth and on the bottom there in the, was at the Bihar, the Maharif. It's an Arichu, so I'll just say it out loud, that Yitzchak was 168 when Yosef was sold down to Mitzrayim. They do the math here with different ages and I figure that out. So when Yosef was sold down to Mitzrayim, Yitzchak was 168. And remember that Yitzchak knew that Yosef was alive. Yaakov didn't know, but Yitzchak knew. Why wouldn't he tell Yaakov? You saw he sees his son suffering for the absence of his son Yosef. He says, he's a Navi, Yaakov is a Navi. If Hashem wants Yaakov to know, he will tell him. How did Yitzchak know? Through Nevoah. He had the nevuah. Yaakov didn't. Hashem doesn't show everything to all the nevim. So that's their integrity. You can imagine Yitzchak seeing Yaakov Avinu in that horrible distress for 22 years. He doesn't say anything. If Hashem wants him to know, he'll tell him. So he's 168 years old. Now we have to think about this. It was at that same time that Yosef went down to Mitzrayim that he was sold, that Yehuda was Yoreid Me'esechav, the Torah says. He went down from his brothers. He marries a woman. He has three children, um, Er, Onan, and Shela. And then Tamor marries Er and Onan. They each die for spilling their seed. Yehuda sees that the husbands of Tamar are dying, so he does not want to give Shayla to her. Something's wrong there. All of that happened within the course of 12 years. So how could that be? Yehuda marries a woman, gives birth to Er, Onan, and Shayla, and then they get married to Tamar within a 12-year time. Why am I saying 12 years? Because... Yitzchak Avinu was 180 when he died. So from 168 to 180, that's 12 years. He's present at the Dean of Tamar, because Yitzchak is there on the Beistin. So the Chachamim say that in those days, it's a Gemara in Sanhedrin, that they were capable of giving birth at the age of eight. <coughs> ben Shmona Shani. At the age of eight, they could give birth to children. So therefore, it works out. That at age 168, when Yitzchak is that old, Yosef is in, goes down to Mitzrayim. Yehuda goes and gets married. He has three children. They live till the age of eight. They get married to Tamar. They die. And then there's Shela, and Tamar is about to be married to him. And that's when the Maisa happens with Yehuda. So that's how Yitzchak Avinu is still alive. He's about... 178, 179 years old at this point here. It's like a year or two before he actually dies. I'll get to you in one second. So they're on the basin. Yitzchak, Yaakov, and Yehuda. And the other Shvatim too are involved in this deen. They're apparently not on the basin, but they're there. Which literally means to say they could cover him, but it's not what it means. It means 
that they could possibly find him innocent. When Tamar presents the three things to the judges, so is that evidence, if you're a judge, is that evidence as to who made her pregnant? It's not. Here's a woman in court. She says, to the man who owns these, th these three things, I'm pregnant. Who says? Maybe you found him. Maybe you found those three things. Maybe they belong to somebody else. You're in, you're in a court of law. You have to prove it. So they could have said, you know, Tamar, we understand you're saying that they belong to somebody else. This is to who you're pregnant, but give us a Prove it. This is based in. So she's really stuck. And therefore, Yehuda steps forward in the presence of all of those people, his father, his grandfather, his brothers, sees that they're his, understands that that was him and Tamar, and we learned this once, that was a Yibum type of relationship, therefore it was okay. And Sadka Mimani. So because he finds her innocent in that case, in that context, he's Zoche Tamalchus. Hikir Yehuda Lamakom Hashem recognized who? God. He's standing before Hashem. Va'amar Amita Sadovar, and he said, the truth, Va'amar Tzadka Mimeni, she's right, it's from me. Nasi, and Hashem made him a Nasi, a Melech. Now, just before you turn over the page, slide over just to the right in the Eitz Yosef, the last about 15 or so lines. They could have found him innocent, Yehuda. Meaning to, no, not Yehuda, excuse me. When she presented those things, they didn't have to conclude that they belonged to Yehuda. And even if they did, they didn't have to conclude that he was the one who was with her. Even though they could say, yes, so we know that the things that you, present, that you presented belong to Yehuda. We know him. Those are his items. That still does not vindicate Tamar yet in a court of law. Maybe Yehuda left them somewhere. And she found them. And then she claims to the man who owns these things, I'm pregnant. It's not a proof what she brought forward. But Yehuda at that moment, he sees Hashem. And he says the truth once it was revealed to him. That Tamar, in, in fact, did not commit an act of zenus, of immorality. And he knew that her kavana was for the sake of heaven. She understood that she had to have children through Yehuda's family. And he knew that she was very tsanua in his house when she was his daughter-in-law earlier. When it says she covered her face, it's also a remez that she always did, that she was very tsanua back in Yehuda's house when she was his daughter-in-law. Hashem made him the melech. Now here's a key point here in this Eitz Yosef. He kind of goes to the heart of it. 
What did Hashem see here in Yehuda that was so important when he made his public admission once he saw what, what things were? Because a king, he has to establish his kingdom with mishpat. You have to have justice in a society. Without justice, a society falls apart. And because his own self-interest, ahavas atzmo, his own self-love, self-interest, did not move him to overlook the truth of this. And he saw the truth and did not l- allow his self-interest to take over. That person is fit to be a king. He knows how to set himself aside for the sake of a higher truth once he realizes it. Even in the presence of extreme public embarrassment, and he's modo alamis. So it wasn't because he was the strongest or the mightiest. There were other mighty and gibor shvatim too, but because Yehuda made sure in the moment to apply Dean properly at the expense of his own self-interest. That's a melech. That's who a king is. Kilindi okay, had a, a hand up before. What's the time? I, I really, well, in general, that whole thing with the 12 years, but I really right. have trouble with the idea that eight-year-old children would get killed for that sin. Now, they were killed min ha-shamayim, right? They were, eight years old? Yeah, eight years old. Yeah. So apparently they were like adults. It's like the idea that Rivka Yemena was three, you know, like when, 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 she married, um, when she married Yitzvah. It was different. People were different. The maturity of mind. Yeah, the culpability would be different. Because you're right, an eight-year-old nowadays would not be chai of misa bidei shemaim. A person, a post-matan Torah is not chai of misa bidei shemaim until they're 20. So a 12 or 13-year-old girl or boy is chai in mitzvot and chai v'feduaveros. But misa bidei shemaim, not till you're 20. Why? Because teenagers are kind of crazy. You know, so they're not really get the, the gravity of life. And Hashem gives them that, those teenage years and says, okay, no, no, there's no Misa Beishamai, you've got to be a teenager for a while, we're not going to punish you. Age 20, yes. But Lechora then, that they had that maturity of mind. If they can give birth at eight, and the Chai Misa Beishamai at that age, it has to be. Right. Well, I don't think the math is wrong, because they go through the whole Cheshbon here on the bottom as to how Yitzchak was 168 years old. They're taking it from Sukim in the Torah that they're stringing together to reach that point. So you got this 12-year window of time when this happened is, that's, that's all you have. And Yitzchak died at 180, so it can't be more than that. Yeah, Mrs. Francis. So I, I think this is the idea. And again, this Yosef HaTzadik, so I say this with tremendous, you know, Moira. Uh, that something about that was immature, something about that was youth-like with Yosef. Not that he didn't have a mature mind, he was already a great person, 
But the idea that there was some level in, at, at his madrega of youthfulness, lack of the, the wisdom of an elderly person, but not in terms of having a mature mind, not in terms of being able to judge properly, see properly. There was still some level of, I, I, I'm just too hesitant to say the words with Yosef Atzadik, but just so you can get youthful self-involvement, yeah, right. He's, he's curling his hair, but that has much deeper meanings, you know, than what what it appears. What it appears, much deeper meanings. That's why I don't want to really say those words. But Lefi Madre Gasso, there was some nakuda of that there. Yeah, no, please. I think so that they were not looking out for people who were less fortunate. And Nishaya is giving them lesser, you know, for, for this Mitzvah. Yeah, I think it is literal. I know many times the Nevi'im say things in a very strong Russia, right. Right. and uh, Abeira was much... Um, much more subtle, right? Dachistic a thing, yeah. So perhaps it was on that level of a, more of a Dachist subtle subtle thing, but it was present. It was present, it was there. Elka, yeah, please. Yeah, yeah. Your father, your, your father, grandfather, grandfather, your brothers, Abos, right? You're going to come and right. say this? Yeah, yeah. I agree with you. Right? That's a real act of gavura, and I, I guess what it is, is that you have to have that kind of gavura, in order to be able, to be mamid dover al hadin. That a person can't really be a judge unless they have that integrity of, of character. But at the same time, if one has that integrity of character, but doesn't follow through with that's the law, they also are lacking something. The strong person, um, inner strength, but can't follow it through to that last step of halacha. So Ye Yehuda has both. And he follows it through to the very end of Tzadkamimani. Those, those words are the, you know, the finality where, where he reached in his greatness. Yeah. Any other comments? Okay. Yeah, please, Dory. Yeah. Right. Right. Yes, and he often would be a die in himself. He would judge himself. And it's talking here about Yehuda being Zoha to be a Nasi. And combined with that is that the, the Midrash says he's a die on the Olam. So the king there is putting himself in a position of also being a Dayan, which David HaMelech did do. And that also communicates to us their concern about society being operating on that level of mishpat and din. Okay, what time do we have up there? Five. Okay, so I'm going to do this. Um, I'm going to send these around. There.
Thank you. Thank you very much. This is a mimer from Rabbi Kursky, my Rebbe Zatzal, on Parshas Mishpatim. And kind of what I was alluding to a little earlier in the year, that you, we must take the, the lofty ideas of Torah and ground them, make sure that they're part of our everyday life. So this mimer illuminates this idea. So right in the middle of the page where it says Parshas Mishpatim, and this comes from the Sefer Malchus Shlomo. I did not mention at the beginning, pardon me, that the, the class is sponsored by Shane D. Kelman of Shane D. Cosmetics, in memory of her mother, Freda Bas also, my brothers, you are tied today, Chaim David, Ben Ali Mori, with Daniel Halev, and the Shamashad, and Liam, Okay, so Parshas Mishpatim, Vayomer Kol Asher Diber Hashem Na'asev Nishma. Okay, famous words the Jewish people spoke, Na'asev Nishma. If someone were to ask you, where does it say Na'asev Nishma in the Torah, most people would say what? Oh, it's got to be Yisro, right? Kabbalah Satorah. It's not. It's in Parshas Mishpatim. It kind of throws you off. You're looking for it in Yisro, and it never, it says Na'asev, where is the Nishma? This week's Parsha. Lahavin inyan amiras naaseh v'nishma. To try and understand what this means, naaseh, we will do, then we will hear. Now, he's going at first with the basic shot of the word that to hear means to find out what it is. Let me hear it. Dahakusha mefursemes. It's a well-known question. Hayitachin, is it possible? Laasos kodem sheshomeya matzorich laasos. Can you do something before you know what you're supposed to do? We'll do it, and then we'll find out what it is. That doesn't make any sense. So obviously, nishma cannot mean that. That the word shmiya, on its deeper level, means to understand. Like we say in English, I hear. That means I understand, I comprehend. So na'asevinishma really is more so I will do, then I will grasp. So yes, you have to tell me first what to do. I'm going to do it, and then I'll really understand what I just did. Every mitzvah is a physical manifestation of a spiritual idea, a profound spiritual idea in the universe. What he calls here, a yesod gado, a spiritual foundation of reality of the world is manifested in the clothing of a mitzvah. So inside that act of picking up a lulav or lighting Shabbos candles or making kiddush, inside of that very simple physical act is a profound spiritual foundation of the entire universe. It's in there. And were that spiritual foundation not have been manifested, it could not endure. If you don't take the spiritual concepts 
and put them into a physical manifestation of act behavior, they're just floating in the air. They, don't, they have no sense of endurance and mamashus, actuality. We find in the outside world often that some nations and cultures have very lofty ideals. And they do horrible things. Greatest example in history, Nazi Germany. Sophistication of Western culture, all the German philosophers, and they end up killing six million Jews. So here you are with sophisticated ideas, but the behavior, immoral, unethical, violent. So the sophisticated ideas, if they don't find their way into action, nothing will become of them. They're easily discarded and disregarded. Ki ruchni. Because the spiritual concept is like the soul of the idea. Which cannot exist in the human being unless there's a body. A soul without a body, that doesn't work. It's a spiritual thing, but it's not here. So, so too, the spiritual thought, the spiritual foundation is one level. Tie it to an action, the action is the body. The Morinaim used to write that the, the goof of the mitzvah, the body of the mitzvah is the action. What's the neshama of the mitzvah? The kavana, what we're thinking. The neshama of the mitzvah is our, is our kavana. So, so too, the spiritual foundation that Hashem laid down in the world is the neshama of that reality. And then the goof of that reality is its expression in a mitzvah. By doing the mitzvah, then that spiritual concept comes down to earth and doesn't just remain up there. And it's real and it's tangible. And morality and holiness therefore become part of people's lives, not just people's thoughts. Then that spiritual reality becomes embedded in who we are. Without that action, that maitha ha-mitzvah, that spiritual thought and even the comprehension of it doesn't go in here. Pardon me? It would apply to a non-Jewish person as well, in the sense that Sheva Mitzvah B'nai Noach and making sure to take uh, moral concepts into the real world and live as eth ethical people certainly would apply. And it applies to Jewish people in, this, in a much larger sense that we're talking about the whole spiritual framework of Torah that gets embedded within us every time we do a mitzvah, every single one. Yeah, please. Yeah, they, they don't. I'm not saying they affect Shemaim in the same way we do. I'm saying that Jew or non-Jew, if you don't take that concept and put it into action, it will just be floating in the air somewhere. Any human being has to do We do it in our way through Taryag Mitzvot, which, which of course 
encompasses Kedusha, they do it in their way, Sheva Mitzvah Benoch, which is ethics and morals. And without living that life, the ideas are meaningless. Last line, Valkain, therefore, Hikdimu Na'asel Nishma. That's why Klai Yisrael said, we will do it. And then we'll have the Havana. Then that spiritual concept will become part of who we are because we did it. Now it's a part of us. So we're saying that doing it even opens up our mind and our heart to understanding the spiritual essence of that mitzvah. Without doing it, we're not going to get that. Lomar she'ein laha havona kiyum ela ayideho asiyah. That the spiritual depth will not endure unless we actually do something. We do a maisa with it. So going back to our Midrash at the beginning, the very first words of the Midrash were that kol ha-Torah taluya the entire Torah is dependent on mishpat. That's the judgment, that's the justice, that's the laws of the Torah finding their way into someone's working in your house and he's a laborer and how do you do that properly and honestly? Therefore, after the lofty Matan Torah experience, our neshamas were leaving us every minute and coming back. What does Hashem do? Nishpatan. Take it into everyday life. And then we'll truly understand the Torah. Without that, we will not truly understand and live the Torah. Please, this is fair. This is Rabbi Shlomo Tversky, my Rabbi Zatzal. He did not write the Sefer his grandson did, Rabbi Yaakov Yisrael Nisan, about 10 years ago. And he compiled Divrei Torah from Rabbi Tversky through tapes and through notes, some of them my own Baruch Hashem notes that I took in those years, and some of uh, Rabbi Tversky's family in Talmudin. And then he compiled the Sefer of his Torah through that. Okay, have a wonderful week, everybody. Great to see you. And a great day. A good Shabbos. Did, did, did I turn it on? I think I did. I did, yeah. Sure.